Shafi. Shafi, are you there? Night falls once again on the hill country surrounding Austin, Texas. The cap, the limestone of the Capitol is dark. The Frostbank building is dark. The lake that used to be called Town Lake and now is called Lady Bird Lake is dark. There are no clouds to reflect the light of the city. So it's what we call true night here, where we actually look out off the back of Matthew's porch and see very little just the slight, hear the slight rustling of the twigs that are out there in the darkness as we await our friend who drives along the commuter rail in his truck. He should be just minutes away, folks. But uh, don't worry, we'll keep you amused until he comes. We will, uh, we will amuse you with One Magical Hour, a Matthew and Schaefer podcast spectacular. We'll, we, we will amuse you with a little bit of, uh, a little bit of song parody We'll amuse you with uh, with a little bit of uh, stuff. I think we got a news cruise here uh, on episode 126. Uh, but first, let's welcome him. He's not a bad guy. He's just a guy experiencing badness. His name is Matthew Rampy. Some folks are born, hard mic in their hand. Lord, they talk about themselves. But when the Shafi comes to the porch, oh, their listenership just swell. Yeah. It ain't me. It ain't me. I ain't no podcaster, son. No. It ain't me. It ain't me. I may be the fortunate one because I'm sitting here with Schaefer Hall about to record episode 126 of One Magical Hour, Matthew and Schaefer podcast, Pachanga. Oh, yeah. I think we're fortunate and I think the listeners are fortunate. You know why? Because we heard the clanging sounds. I can, we can hear the crossing the just down the way. The of the bell that indicates the coming of the guy uh, driving on the tracks in his truck. That crossing he's, that you can hear is a pedestrian crossing. He's going to be here any minute, right on time, 842. Do you think that we could get him to stop one night and interview him? We, we, we got it. We're going to have to. I'm going to email Cap Metro about this. I mean, hey! the, um, <laughs> the, um, he has his, to notice that it's his, his time. He's so timely. Yeah, I guess we're pretty timely too. We we, we're we're on a roll. Tuesdays, eight thirty. Happy first day of Black History Month to you, sir. Back at you. Uh, I feel I love Black History Month. I love Black people. I love Black culture. I love it that we have a month to celebrate Black. I think it's BS that it's the shortest month. Um. I, I really do see, like, my kids growing up, like, seeing that there's an importance on that, for, in our house anyway. So, um, we're going to learn more about the Underground Railroad this year. If I may take a moment, Matthew, it just occurred to me 
Uh, yeah, thank you for teaching your kids about that. Thank you for uh, yeah. Thank you for noting. Uh, but your comment that this is February first, I think it's the five year anniversary of the passing of our friend Sanjina. Uh, she's a really cool gal, an Indian gal from Queens, New York, who Lucas dated for a while. They actually met on MySpace, I think. Whoa, weird and, scene. What a reference. Yeah. <laughs> and they dated and we had so much fun. She dated Lucas at the time when he and I were just, we were partying really hard at Clinton Hill and she fit right in with us. You know, it was never trouble to have her around for me, you know, in our tiny apartment. Um, I used to call her. She would get really fired up with us. We, you know, oh gosh, we would just have these fun parties. We'd have like spontaneous. I remember once we had a spontaneous Christmas party. We basically just texted everyone we knew and had them meet us at Doc Holidays in the East Village. And we had like 40 people there Whoa. just, you know, within minutes. Spur of the moment. And uh, that's the night she was just excited and she came running across the room and she jumped up on me. And she was a tiny little slip of a girl. And she jumped up on me and like, I didn't even, you know, I wasn't even like, I lost my footing or anything. Like I didn't even move. She just uh -huh. jumped up and she was on yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I didn't feel like I'd put on, you know, I was holding something heavy or anything. Yeah. I imagine a mosquito landing. Well, I told her and, but she, and she was a little brown girl. She's the same color as my freckles. I was like, it's like I have another freckle. Just an extra freckle. Huh. <laughs> and so from then I called her my favorite freck or just, or freck. And uh, yeah, how heavy is a freck, Shafi? It's very light, <laughs> almost, almost, almost unnoticeable. So, almost imperceptible. Yeah. Uh, Ada and Lucas and I were texting about her today. And, oh, she passed. Yeah, she five passed years five ago. years ago. Oh, today. Um, Tragically. Yeah, it was it was complicated. Oh dear. Um. But uh. You know, that's one of those things where, you know, the, the family doesn't really like to talk about it too much. So it's tough to say. Um, but, uh, it, you know, it's one of those things where I, I, always, I always like to assume that, you know, whatever, you know, your life circumstances were that got you to that place, you know, like... We're talking about suicide here, Shafi? Suicide or overdosing. I kind of treat uh, them both the yeah. same way, you know. I think of overdosing as just accidental suicide, you know. And like, is it, it? Or is it accidentally having too much fun? When the when you get there, I mean, I think uh, there's, you know, there's two different kinds of overdoses, you're right. Yeah. But I think it's often people trying to, you know, deal with problems that are bigger than them, you know. And that's when that's when you take too many yeah. drugs, right? Yeah. That's because you're, you're you're trying to fix a problem that you find unmanageable. So, whichever one of those, it doesn't matter. I treat them the same way. You know, I treat that particular kind of overdose and suicide. I treat the same way, and that is, you know, you're having problems that are unmanageable. And you need to get out of them. So, I always like to give these people the benefit of the doubt and say, oh, you know. They were having problems that I can't even imagine, and and you know the the fact that they don't have to feel that anymore might be a good thing for them. You know, 
yeah. no matter what it is for us. So, well, it's funny you mentioned that because well, that's not funny that you mentioned that. We're talking about Black History Month. We're talking about people that have left us too soon. Say, say, say the name again of your friend that you. Sanjina. Sanjina. My favorite freckle. You know, rest in peace, Sanjina. I'm gonna drink, I'm gonna have a sip for her. Um, this this item in the news this week was of another a passing of another woman of color. Um, did you did you read about this? I did not know Chelsea Christ, uh, who was Miss USA in 2019. I want to I, I want to hope this is this ends up being foul play. No, actually, I think she left a note. Mm-hmm. Um, she she jumped she jumped from a building in, in Midtown Manhattan this week. 30 year old former Miss USA. Attorney. Uh, a correspondent on Extra. Uh, you should look at this girl's Instagram. She's a gorgeous. You you know. It's just another one of those things where you just don't know what people are going through. Yeah. You know, this one, this one's disturbing to me because I just think how many men in her life must have made her life shitty. I bet that that was, I shouldn't say that. I I mean, there's a lot of different things, a lot of different things that could be happening. Yes. Uh. Jackson, Mississippi. This says she's from Jackson, Mississippi. I don't even know if Amy knew that. Of course, Amy's the one who alerted me to this story. So anyway, she looks like a looks like a really cool lady. I hope she's yeah. in a better place. Yeah. This uh, boy, this podcast turned yeah, sorry. real, real, real fast. Uh, let's try to let's let's take it back to the show sheet. God bless the show sheet. So I. Great. I did a little CCR at the great, top of the great, show great. there. You like that parody? Song parody. That was really fun. Um, was talking to a friend at work about this. He mentioned um, when we were talking about Neil Young and the Neil Young Spotify Joe Rogan kerfuffle, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, give him hell. Dave Bell was saying, "Oh, did, didn't Neil Young get mad at Trump?" for using one of his tunes and and of course i googled it i google everything i google you listener i google everybody i meet i google every question i think you know you know it's a sickness and there's actually a wikipedia article musicians who oppose donald trump's use of their music (laughs) and it's not a short list it's not it's not a short list this is just the laugh i needed I'm going to just run it down real fast for you. Adele, Aerosmith, The Beatles, Bruce Springsteen, CCR, Eddie Grant, Elton John, GNR, Leonard Cohen, Linkin Park, Luciano Pavarotti, Neil Young, Nickelback. I was surprised on Nickelback. Nico Vega, Panic at the Disco, Pharrell Williams, Phil Collins, Prince, Queen, R.E.M., Rihanna, The Rolling Stones, Tom Petty, The Village People, and The White Stripes all have a beef with Trump using their... there's someone for everybody here. Go pick your favorite one on that list and go buy one of their records. Essentially, <laughs> essentially, I uh, what what it looks to me like any song Trump has ever used at a rally <laughs> or at a campaign thing. Um, maybe 
maybe Ted Nugent's fine. The cat scratch fever is okay. You know, he's not on there. I'm trying to, is, is Kid Rock, uh, is, I mean, Kid, I think Kid Rock's basically just recorded a song where he talks he about stealing and stolen elections and like, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I think Kid Rock so, just released a song where he just parrots a bunch of the uh, MAGA isms. Most most other artists do not want Trump using their music. Apparently, <laughs> like, like and that's funny because it's like even maybe even Trump is like, no, I'm not using a Kid Rock song. <laughs> <laughs> Kid Rock's desperately trying to get a song played at a campaign rally. Yeah, and then I. I I read this, uh, at least this list earlier. I didn't read each and every instance, um, but I found it interesting that uh, Fortunate Son, which is a song about how rich kids don't have to go to war, basically. Um, Trump used it. Um, and Fogarty noted that he was used in quite the opposite manner. The song's lyrics were meant as a critique of how wealthy people are unfairly able to avoid the draft or pay their share of taxes. So not only did Trump use it, he used it in the completely the wrong way. Well, I'm sure with a lot of these songs, Elton John has opposed the use of Tiny Dancer, which makes a lot more sense with Trump. Just a little tiny dancer. Okay. Um... I just wanted to draw your attention to this. There's a Wikipedia article for just about anything you think about these days. You know, and this reminds me of, I want to go right into just one more little political anecdote. But also I want to take it back in time, just like you did with New York. I, I moved to San Francisco in October of 2000. And in early November of 2000, George Bush, the junior, stole the election. <laughs> Hanging chads. You remember all that shenanigans? I remember it well. And I had moved to the most progressive plot of land in the world, maybe. And um, I needed a haircut. And I went to this barber shop up on the Hayden Ashbury. And I was getting a haircut by, uh, you know, a very nice gay man. And I, this was, was my first experience with, like, being from Texas and people's preconceptions of who you are because you're from Texas. And I remember I was getting my haircut and them chatting with this lad. And, and I, you know, I'm saying, well, I'm from Texas. And I start getting this lecture from this guy about how this corner out here is the Hayden Ashbury is the most progressive democratic corner in the world. And I, I can't prove this. I don't have any photographic evidence. Um, and I, 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 you, it's hard to prove motive, but I'm pretty sure that I was given a mullet out of spite. <laughs> I think people were so upset that just some greenhorn Texan comes into your salon right after this, the steal, the actual steal, not the fake steal they've been talking about. Um, and I was sent home with a mullet. I remember being, he was like, how is this good? And I was like, yeah, yeah. And I remember getting back to my apartment and just being like, this is, he's left it long in the back. I, I've got, I've got a mullet. 
So um, do you feel from the conversation that you're like, I, thought, I think it's, did he not give you time to talk and explain yourself? No, he or? really didn't. He really didn't. And, and that happened over and over during that time in San Francisco. And I wasn't at that time political per se. I think probably that election was the first election where I felt like, oh, maybe I should get involved. I, you know what? I don't even know if I voted Yeah. in that election. I, I through in the late nineties, I felt really disenfranchised and I felt and still and still somewhat feel that the vote is a placebo or a panacea. It's, well, I mean, it's, it's something that it's something that you're given, but unfortunately, but, but, but it's with, often just trying to pick the less, the lesser of that, that's several the, evils. That's the problem with it is, well, besides Barack Obama in recent memory, there hasn't been any, candidate that i'm super excited about mm -hmm. and i i'm i'm starting to feel more disenfranchised again obviously like that election and being where i was and then the if you know the events that followed 9-11 and the war in afghanistan and the iraq war and feeling like we had gone to war over false pretenses and you know uh, every uh, all things that have happened in the last 20 years certainly got me more involved politically. Also, I was young, very, you know, I'm 24 years old. And what, 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 what do I know? Yeah. Um, I, but I just, I, I just remember that, that forced mullet. <laughs> I remember just the strong feeling that like, these are all just old white people who are beholden to some corporation or another. Um, and that's the that's that's the problem with the vote is that it's the money and and the the backroom things that go on that that really make the deal. It's the it's the DNC choosing Joe Biden as their guy. I keep seeing news stories like, that say that say maybe now, you know, Biden's back is so far up against the wall that he does have to actually enact voting change, voting rights changes. And uh, voting law changes, like, which is like, that's the whole, like, every Democrat was like, we have to address this situation if we can get somebody back in office. And then, you know, he got in there and he was like, oh, things are more complicated than that. And it's like, yeah. all the, like, there's few people more, more in the pocket, you know, than somebody who's, somebody who's been in Washington for the last 50 years is going to have found his way, you know. It's gonna have taken a little bit of money from everybody, you know. It's yeah. gonna owe favors all, all, all favors up and down the block. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it's it's just hugely frustrating, and we need more young people in the office. We need more. Where are all the leaders? Where are the people? Nobody wants to be. Nobody wants to be a public, a true public servant. And they don't want to, yeah. And they don't want to go out there and sell their souls to fight a losing battle against, uh, you know, or just get crushed by corporations. And a, you know, Congress in a in the Senate and House of Representatives are just a a gridlock of of ineptitude. And what does it say on our show sheet, please? <laughs> Hey, I had something that I wanted to tell you. I stopped by. We had a great Sunday uh, at the bar. We uh, decided uh, Rihanna, our new uh, our new employee, 
made her famous chili recipe. Um, but they ran out of chili powder, so I had to run over to Dick's house at the last minute to pick up some chili powder. We borrowed some chili powder from him. It was the fastest way to do it, you know, among the, among my options. And Sounds sketchy. Go on. So I hopped in there, and you know, everybody's kind of everybody's always kind of hanging around in the living room kitchen area of their place. Mm -hmm. So I came in, and I sat down at the kitchen table, started chatting with Kathleen, and Dottie came over. She had like her, she had like pencils or a pen or something and a notebook. And she was like, do we need to do some stuff for the podcast? Oh, okay. <laughs> so I was like, I was like, oh, thank Does you. Does that make her the secretary of the I'm podcast? I'm so excited. Yeah. Uh, and not, yeah, she's, not a, like, I think she's our staff writer. Oh, staff writer. I didn't mean secretary, like the girl who yeah. sits in front and answers phones. Yeah. Or, or guy. Uh, I meant, you know, like. You know, person with the president, piece of paper, vice yeah. president, treasurer, yeah. secretary. Yeah, I think she's a staff writer. Okay, that's what I would call her because she writes poems for us. Um, Excellent. Uh, so anyway, that was super exciting, super heartwarming. Um, Why does it say carbonated water talk? On oh, because beforehand. Oh, did you, we you pull that out and wrote that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I appreciate you adding to the show sheet. I wondered why. I thought you were texting somebody. We're getting ready for the show, and he pulls out his phone, and I'm like, eh, I don't, it's not really time to text anybody, but he was adding to the show sheet. <laughs> so here, yeah, okay, so here's a, here's a, seg a one-time segment. Carbonated water talk. Carbonated water talk. I've, I serve, Chafee comes to the porch to, for the podcast, and I, I serve him a, a, a seltzer water, seltzer water of some type. For for a while, we were having we had lots of flavors of Lacroix. Is that how you say that? Lacroix. Lacroix. And uh, so I was offering him a different things, but like it, it seems to have winnowed down to some basics. And I always keep Topo Chico here, and I think the last few times I've served I've served Schaefer Topo Chico. So we started talking about our favorite mineral waters. Which mine is Topo Chico for its aggressive bubbles. Topo Chico has the most aggressive bubbling and uh, the best mineral flavor. Although we we're talking about, there's a local local brand here called Rambler. Yeah, that is as far as I Welcome know. Welcome new sponsor, Rambler. It's it's you know it's limestone filtered hill country water. I'm pretty sure. Okay. And uh, you know that's so limestone's got a lot of you know calcium and stuff. There's all sorts of stuff that can be picked up. When something is limestone, when water is limestone filtered, uh, and I think I think they force carbonated. You know, it's not coming out of. The, They've got a soda stream. My understanding is that Topo Chico comes out of the well like this. Okay, I could be wrong though, but uh, yeah, they uh, you know they put it under pressure, under carbonated gas pressure. I see, and that uh, and water absorbs that carbonation just like you would uh. Like a like beer or anything. Uh, so, but but Rambler, yes, is excellent. Okay. Uh, Waterloo is acceptable. Yeah. Uh, what uh, HEB has Big Swig. Nah. I I don't know. I don't I don't know enough to say. I mean, to me, there's kind of like an upper echelon, and then there's the also Rams. But I re I recently got a pack of of Rambler regular. And really enjoyed it. There are little things growing up, like 
I don't know if it was like this for you, but you know, you go to grandma's house and they kind of always have something. Um, Clearly Canadian. Is that what it was for you? I yeah. I remember my things. my my paternal grandparents. They always had all kinds of different sodas, uh-huh. so that's cool. Like you know, I might be drinking a diet Sprite or uh, mostly diet though. Mostly diet. Yeah, huh? and uh, but maternal grandparents always had. Gosh, what was I? Darn it. You lost your train of thought? Yeah. Oh, so, yeah, I can't remember now what, what I would associate. Actually, they always had Ovaltine. That's what I, I would have, Ovaltine oh. over there. But no, what I was thinking of at Dick and Kathleen's house, a cool thing there is they always have diet, Canada Dry Diet Ginger Ale. Mm. And, you know, they make the Canada Dry Ginger Ale with the real ginger now. Okay. So it's really good. I know, like... Some, you know, diet flavorings maybe aren't the healthiest for you, but it's, it's pretty awesome just to like have like that one thing that you only have when you're over there, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, so that's kind of an established, you know, that establishes them as like a home, you know, in the way that, uh, the other thing my, my paternal grandparents always had, that was only when we came to visit though, were the little, the little, uh, uh, we were never allowed to eat sugar cereal at my house, but when we went down to paternal grandparents, they had the little single serving of the mixed um, sugar cereals. So you had like Apple Jack, Fruity Pebbles, wow. Fruit Loops. Yeah. Wow. Which, whichever you had that to choose from. Oh, the little variety pack. Uh, and that was so exciting. Wow. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the best. It is exciting. <laughs> yeah. And then lunch was always like craft singles, uh, grilled cheese. Another thing we never had, we always had like craft singles were a luxury. I see. We wouldn't have had those at my house. Too expensive. <laughs> wow. Although my mom, my mom is famous for her three cheese grilled cheese. Uh, okay. Put a little, um, Jack on there, put a little, uh, cheddar on there but then put a little cream cheese on there oh um, whoa that's a twist great stuff great okay. stuff you know what i love about carbonated water talk what? is that it just <laughs> wanders everywhere <laughs> you go anywhere <laughs> there's a lot going on in the world they're sure it, wow yeah the yeah, first day of black instrument did you hear about these bomb threats being called into hbcus Historically black colleges and universities. I did see a little little bit of that. Yeah, that's. There's the. Why is that happening? Like we were talking about last time, because people think it's just okay to be racist. Yeah, I guess. It's just all in the open now. It's fucking crazy. And then there's, you know, there's the incursions in Ukraine Mm -hmm. that are are turning into a real detente. Yeah. There's war with China seems inevitable. I mean, on a long enough timeline, anyway. I guess so. I think like we were just. Too, I, I read this article the other day. We we're it's too got financially me all, in bed I, together I, for that to ever happen. All, hopefully, it may, 
hopefully continued can continue to be proxy wars and in ever turns maybe it's like a new cold war with china that seems inevitable but just what we need but there's another big story i got my very first pair of house shoes nice job setting that joke that's really good (laughs) uh one magical nation he has it on the show sheet here he says uh he has bombings incursions into the ukraine war with china and then it says I got my first pair of shoes. I'm 45, so. I'm going to be 46 soon. <laughs> and I got thing. my very first pair. <laughs> I don't mean to make light of all the other horrible things happening in there, the world. Yeah. But I'm just saying that there's some good things happening too. You got you to focus on You that. know what? I, we, had, we had talked stuff. about it before Christmas. And I had Christmas came and went. And I was like, oh, you didn't give me any house shoes. And Amy, just like three <laughs> weeks after Christmas, she was like, she just went and did it. Part of the problem was the house shoes are really, they're not attractive on anybody. And um, I mean, I had taken to just wearing like wool socks around the house, or maybe I have like my cleanest pair of tennies. I can sort of slip those on, but I just didn't, I've, I've never had a pair of slippers or house shoes. And she got me the kind that looked like a moccasin, but like a high top. You know, uh huh, yeah, yeah. They're from LL Bean, cool. and they're just like super soft inside. When you first get them, they're like extra puffed out inside, and they have mm-hmm. this little note in them that says, "Oh, by the way, this is Matthew's minutia." I, you, you know, I don't know if you if you if you're following with like what what segment we're on here. It's Matthew's minutia, and, and we're get minute. It's got a little note inside minute that's just like. That may feel a little snug at first, but that's just the super fluffy floofiness that's going to conform to your foot very soon. And, man, I I really don't know what I've been doing with myself not having house shoes. Like, it's so lovely to just, like, you're out of the shower, you're going to watch some TV. It's cold. It's cold. My house is on pier and beam, but they're cold floors. And you just slip those bad boys on. Same thing in the morning. I get up, I cook breakfast, cold tile, kitchen floor, house shoes. Well, I, I don't know what, listen, I don't know what you listener are missing in your life, but it's probably something and it's out there and it might be something as small as a little note inside of your house shoes. That says, that says, don't worry, they're going to just be perfect soon. They'll be good. They'll be they'll be okay soon. I I love the sound of those. I think I've tried those before, and my feet just get too hot in them. Okay, well, but, I'm uh, I'm reaching a stage of but I run, advanced. I run age pretty hot. Where I, I you know I my feet get cold. Um, I think probably I've like damaged my feet too from soccer and things mm-hmm. where like. Maybe I've got some. My, my grandfather had the same thing. Well, it doesn't like, always. Like, it's just, there's some circulation. I think every, that's every, everybody yeah. too at a certain age. Yeah. Well, I'm there early. <laughs> early lack of circulation. That and is what I'm saying. Hey, man, if that means that uh, you get to rock some nice ankle high moccasins, then uh, then that's a that's a win win. When you say ankle high, that makes it like. 
that makes it <laughs> very uncool. Yes. I, 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 would, have, uh, I wish that you wouldn't do, do that. They, do they have a uh, fringe hanging off? <laughs> no, they don't. They don't. Also, I feel like it's a little bit of cultural appropriation. Yeah, sure. The right. moccasin style. Yeah. But you know what? That's a really good design. The moccasin style shoe. So. Okay. Well, we can we can move on from there. We can only go up from there. Oh, this reminds me of something that's not on the show sheet that's related to this next segment. R.I.P. Johnny Fever, Howard Hessman. Howard Hessman passed away. I'm glad you remembered that. I forgot to. I, I read his New York Times obituary blurb, and it was fantastic. You should read it. Maybe. The things he would say about the counterculture, like in the late 70s, you know, because his character, Johnny Fever, on WKRP in Cincinnati. Can we play my niece and nephew singing the song just for fun? Oh, well, we're going into the segment. Here it is. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Love, Love that. that. <laughs> Love it. <that song>. <laughs> Thank you for indulging me. Uh, yeah, yeah, go on. What did you learn about uh, Howard? Well, Howard Hessman was an only child. He was born in Oregon. He moved to San Francisco. He heard about acting, went to San Francisco to be an actor, and he really was part of the counterculture. And then, then in, in the late 70s, he plays this character – who's a, as a disc jockey who's like, I think, you know, by the late seventies, like the counterculture was like, Oh, you know, everybody had had uh, enough of hippies for a number of years. And he was still like holding the fire. And like some things he would say about like, uh, you know, I s- smoke marijuana much to my, uh, <laughs> much against my will sort of thing. It was like, he was sort of playing it down. Anyway, I, I loved I loved that show. I loved that character. I loved him. I loved Head of the Class, um, which was his next big sitcom. Yeah, after excellent. That. Um, yeah, a, a life well lived, Howard Hessman. Uh, a lot of. Uh, did you ever see the movie Reuben and Ed? No, that's him and. Uh, Ruben and Ed is Howard Hessman and uh, George McFly. Oh, um, Crispin Glover. Crispin Glover, yeah. That movie is wild okay. and really fun. Okay. Say it yeah. again. Ruben and Ed. Ruben and Ed, okay. Here's a. Let's, let's keep talking about Howard Hessman for just a little. Get up by five, get in here, be on the air by six. 
This coffee keeps me sharp as a tack. He's he's going to sleep on his. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was season one episode one yeah. uh-huh. here's to johnny now, Fever, i, I would love to re-watch that show i mean obviously i watched that show as a kid i it's just funny what how what an impression it made on me as a kid even though i obviously didn't understand anything that was going on when we started doing the parody with my niece and nephew of their uh of their theme song i tried to find it on the streamers just so I could show them what they were doing, uh, and it and I couldn't find it anywhere. I wonder if in his passing it might resurface. I would, I would, you I might, would, you bet would think that it would. so. Yeah, yeah, that's fun. But but seriously though, um, I have wondered, Matthew, have you wondered, ever wondered? whatever became of you? <laughs> Matthew, have you ever wondered why they call the middle finger the bird? Shafee, I have wondered why they call the middle finger the bird. Uh, and we'll, uh, I actually... I, oh, oh, yeah, that's right. You were, you were a guest. I was featured on another... TBTL. On another of our favorite podcasts, yeah. Uh, it was you really... are, you, listen to me. You are too busy writing content for TBTL. <laughs> you should write some content for One Magical Hour. You, uh... <laughs> uh... Now, I, I saw. I meant to mention it to you. I, I, of course, of course, I'm. I subscribe to the newsletter. Excellent. And you were a guest writer. The uh, you... Luke and Andrew uh, folks, uh, our, our who, podfathers, who might not know. Uh, yeah, they have too beautiful to live a podcast that. Uh, is the very much the father of this podcast. Uh, we were doing Mike Mike Sammons and his wife Gretchen got me into them a long time ago, uh, and they really are the birth of this 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 podcast. And they were arguing about whether you say flipping or flicking flicking the bird or flicking people off. Do you ever? You know, I have. I know what side I'm on here. Yeah. Yeah. Which which do you most commonly You're use? You're flipping people off because oh you, yeah yeah. I have always thought flicking people off is a complete misnomer. You, you have it's, heard it's, of flicking people oh, off. Oh, I have, I have, but that's the misheard lyric to me. Interesting. Uh, you, then you you, take, you flip the bird. I uh, yes, flip the bird and flick off. So yeah, here's what I said. I said uh, 
I said, I think if you're using the bird to describe the middle finger, it has to be flipped. The bird spends most of its time cupped in your hand, and when you extend it, the bird is flipped. Flicking the bird doesn't make any sense and would only annoy the bird. When you flick someone off, you are dismissing them with a gesture, as if they are something that is physically annoying you. There is a flick of the wrist that occurs as the middle finger is extended. I think the French have a similar gesture that doesn't even bother with the middle finger. And It's the Italians. To flip someone off doesn't make much sense. Flipping someone is not dismissive, and if it is well executed, it can even be fun. So, uh, but you are a flipper-offer. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have always thought flicking off was something that Yankees say. Uh, <laughs> as far as the actual gesture, middle uh, origins of the middle finger obscure, though there are some stories. One story traces it back to the Battle of Agincourt. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, it's the, it, the British do it with two fingers still. As the story goes, French would cut off the index and middle fingers of captured British archers. Who needed them for slinging arrows. And the British still do this. They'll hold up both. Yeah. And, uh... I had to look at my hand to make sure both was the index in the middle. <laughs> yeah, it is. Since it's, since it's in dictionary.com, there's a subheading, how to use the middle finger in a sentence. <laughs> <laughs> I found the button on the earbuds difficult to press, often requiring me to pinch the stem with my thumb and middle finger. <laughs> one respondent simply said go to hell another accused me of being a child trafficker a third sent a selfie of his middle finger (laughs) so they they just pulled randomly uh, from uh, instances online but all of this got me wondering why is it called the bird Have have you ever wondered yeah. Why is the middle finger called the bird? Have you, have you ever wondered? Yes. And I'm still, I'm sitting, still saying, are you going to clear this up? The uh, is this going to be another Matthew ever wondered where there's no whether you call it the finger the bird or the one finger salute, which I never call it that. Maybe I will now. Nobody calls it that. This is from website complex.com uh, by a story by Elizabeth King. It's a euphemism that doesn't exist. Whether you call it the finger of the bird or the one finger salute, there are many names for the universal sign meaning fuck you. Uh, explicit. Just explicit warning. Got our explicit lyric. <laughs> In undeni- it's undeniable that there's an art to giving the finger. The timing, angle, and duration of your gesture can make or break how you effectively land an insult. When executed just right, throwing a middle finger or two in the air can be one of the most satisfying female feelings in the world. It's actually a sign of protest and defiance that's been around for centuries. But it, I, it really does go back to Agincourt. Right? I would have said the Battle of Hastings, but that's not right. The ever-subversive ancient Greeks used their middle fingers to symbolize sex. Oh. So. Oh, oh okay. Right. Yeah. Is, is you, so you would, Schaefer and I are both gesticulating in ways that you wouldn't want to see us or be around us while we do it. Now this, like, how do they associate sex with negativity is interesting. I would think, you know, if you're gesturing, gesturing at me about sex, I'd be like, all right, right. let's, uh, like, let's you and you. I... Like, uh, sounds good. Let's you and I do a little more of this. Because uh. I'm, uh, 
because I'm a, I'm, a, I'm at SLUT. Um, Schaefer. <laughs> the listeners know how to spell for both for both. Sexes. One would assume. Uh, but wait, have we gotten to the part where we figured out the? We haven't even. Yeah. Because of a thumb in the U.S., it's so it's no surprise that the first photograph of flipping the bird was taken in America. Boston Bean Eaters baseball photo. Charles <laughs> Oldhaus Radburn is shown with a middle finger up. It's a great example of the bird as a nonviolent form of protest. Haas and the Bean Eaters were about to play the New York Giants. Two teams pictured together, and Haas was expressing his feeling about the age-old rivalry. <laughs> um, I'm not sure if she's going to get us to... I found this. What's the origin of flipping the bird? Flipping seems pretty straightforward. Real question is, where did the bird come from? Middle finger held up in a rude gesture, slang derived from 1860s expression, giving the bird <laughs> to hiss someone like a goose. <laughs> Kept alive in vaudeville slang with a sense of to greet someone with booze, hisses, and catcalls. Mm. Transferring 1960s to the up yours hand gesture, the rigid finger representing the hypothetical object to be inserted on notion of defiance and contempt. Gesture itself is much older, so um, I guess... I'm left to wonder. Yeah, <laughs> that wasn't the most satisfying of definition I had. Wasn't the most satisfying segment of all time. Okay, wait, here's another theory. It came from an English battle between the French over a cliffside town. English archers, French saw the need to take out the archer's middle finger so they could not train another generation of archers. English subsequently won the war and walked around the town with their middle fingers still intact. They would show the Frenchmen their middle finger and proclaim, I can still flip the bird. A reference to an arrow. So the, oh. the arrow is the bird is the arrow. I can flip the bird at you still. That's, that's a now little that's, closer, I feel like. If that, if there's any kernel of truth to that, that seems the most solid. That, certainly, the, what I know about it comes from this battle with the English and French and the archers still having their fingers if they can pull the bow back. Flipping the bird. Okay. Matthew, wonder no more. Wonder not, my friend. Did you want to talk about hobby tunneling? That'd be, I guess, our news cruise, I suppose. Yeah, we don't do the news cruise theme anymore. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was just a ripoff of uh, Love Boat Karaoke. This uh, this is uh, Brother Dicky. This Brother Dicky sent us this article, and it's interesting. He said uh, this has been going viral. So this went viral last week, but he's in a very different internet bubble than I am. Thank God, Dicky, keeping us abreast of what's going what's, viral. But it's gone right. But so Dicky's in the uh, in the hacker news, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. Y Combinator, uh, rationalist philosophy internet bubble. So a little different from mine. And there's some some things I follow because of him, but um 
I see myself building a tunnel after this. Tunnel is delightful. Hobby tunneling. I guess this hit Reddit pretty hard last week. Hobby tunneling is tunnel construction as a diversion. This is from Wikipedia. Usually hobby tunnelers dig their tunnels by hand using little equipment, and some can spend years or even decades to achieve any degree of completion. Some cases, tunnels have been dug secretly and only discovered by chance. How exciting. Love the idea of a secret tunnel happening and then you just finding it and being like, who was down here? Who did this? Could have been a tunnel. I feel like the podcast is a secret tunnel. <laughs> it's an underground passageway <laughs> dug through the surrounding soil of rock. We know, okay, we know what a tunnel is. <laughs> Subdiscipline of civil engineering. Uh, people may build escape tunnels like those under the Berlin Wall. It could be a part of underground dwellers. Hobby. A few people have dug tunnels as a hobby or for fun, although some have additional reasons. I feel like building a tunnel as a storm shelter makes sense. So that's one that uh, Seymour Cray is a hobby tunneler, says that he does it uh, because it helps him think about other problems. Mm. So just a way to uh, divert himself. Uh, Harrison Dyer saw digging as a form of exercise. Uh, sometimes they start out digging something useful and then just realize that they're into tunneling, so they just keep on tunneling. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Michael Altman, who excavated a cooling cellar for a cafe. Uh, others say they excavated for a particular purpose. I think this also relates to people's uh, like earth sign. Like, what what is your... I, often I think about carpentry and I'm drawn to wood and the cutting of wood. And I know that other people like metal and the cutting and fusing of metal. And I really don't like that. It, you know, there are, I think there are all kinds of things like this, like surfing, you're drawn to water, tunneling. You, you, you love the earth. Okay. Yeah. Stay right there. This guy, author will hunt things, ex- thinks extensive tunneling is at least part obsession. Psychiatrist Anton Tolk believes that tunnel digging can be interpreted as a desire to return to the security of a mother's womb, Mm. and that as an activity allows contemplative satisfaction. I mean, there's so many things that are elemental, you know, Uh, blowing glass, you you love the fire, blacksmithing, you love the fire, Uh, you know. People jump out of planes. People jump out. People uh, hang glide or, or use a flight suit. You know, you, you, you want to be in the air. And other people just want to be with the earth. All right. This is an awesome thought sounding thing in California. Sicilian, 1904, Sicilian immigrant Baldassare Forestieri. But a 32-acre plot of land in Fresno, California, for horticulture. Uh, hard pan soil is unsuited for the fruit trees. While working elsewhere, Forestier uh, dug a maze of underground and below-ground spaces to escape the summer heat. The San Joaquin Valley opened up ceilings to let in light. Below, he planted fruit trees he wanted in the first place. The complex consists of bedrooms, living spaces, patios, a fish pond, and hallways. After his death in 1946, some of the land was sold off. Some of the tunnels filled in, but currently eight acres have been saved. It's known as the Forestieri Underground Gardens. 
and has a listing in the National Register of Historic Places. How cool is that? He had a fish pond under there and managed to grow some of those trees that he wanted to grow on the surface. Baldessare Forestiere. 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 Is that like a real name? Daughter's wedding reception. I'll put this up on Instagram, folks. Um, so you can... Look, uh, there, there's the tunnel leading into a patio. Oh, so cool. Forestiere's complex. So cool. You can do a little, uh, you can do a little arch work to keep your tunnels open. It doesn't... I mean, you definitely are going to want to read about a Costa Rican, Costa Rican miner Manuel Barantes built an underground family house. 162,000 uh, square feet, uh, used as a museum now. Butler, Pennsylvania, Ron Heist created a 50-room dwelling made of salvage materials from abandoned places in the vicinity. Includes several tunnels. A uh, documentary was made about him entitled Mole Man. I have to try to track that one down. Thank you for sharing this insanity with I'm me. I'm so excited. And, this and, is my and realizing th this is a lot like the house shoes. Yeah. <laughs> you just don't. You just didn't know what you were missing. Just stories of guys going through solid granite, <clears throat> dynamite. I think next time on the podcast we should we should call Gabby. Okay. I mean, yeah, maybe we maybe, gonna, maybe we tell her we that we're going to call her. We were going to try to call Gabby out of the blue tonight, but we sort of ran out of time. So much exciting stuff to talk There's about. A lot tonight. to talk about. I, I definitely want to talk to Gabby again. I I, I just I just want to let her know that we're still doing this thing. She's probably unawares. You know. As are a lot of our not of no of people who aren't listening to the show, actually, but the people who are listening to the show, they know what's up. They know the coup. You know what I mean? They're going to be on the front line of Matthew's minutia. You know, when 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 that when the S hits the F, they are going to know. Uh, get at us. Do uh, we know how much? Do they know how much we love them? I, should we read a poem? You know, you know. Sometimes I feel like we should decide what poem we're going to read before we start recording. That is often a good idea, but uh, but in other cases, not always required. But in other cases, a poem is foisted upon us during the show, and it's exciting. And it I becomes think. it becomes the perfect poem. Yeah. It's exciting. We have we... a lot of, I feel like, synchronicity with things that we that we pull right out of our internet asses <laughs> here on the program. <laughs> and uh, Publishers Weekly. I, I just want to remind the listenership how much we love you and that I know we've 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 been begging for a long time and you've probably are all already done this, but just go rate us on Apple podcasts or on, I don't know where else. You know, we really did lose our Indian listenership. I think we got pulled from that. Yeah. Maybe we're not on that website that, anymore. From that I wonder Indian if there's streaming service. If there's people out there who miss us. There's, there are, 
a lot of mysteries in the digital space like that. Like, how did this happen? Why did this happen? Who am I? Where am I? This URL is not helping me decide where I am. Where I am. I've been really enjoying uh, on Apple TV. There's a show called Dickinson. Oh, yeah? That is delightful. Man, it Apple is, TV has got a ton of great stuff. Yeah, they do good stuff. Yeah. This They have like... What it's Emily Dickinson. The I've story, heard, the story I've of, the heard of her. Yes, I follow her Instagram. Uh, but but they tell it in like a like a sexy kind of CW teen show fashion. I'm interested. Yeah, but they do an awesome job of like letting the poems inform the uh, the show, just like on the podcast. So yeah, sure. <laughs> but in the first one, and so the first one, of course, they use, they use a different poem for every different episode. Okay. And of course, for the first one they used because I could not stop for death, he kindly stopped for me, uh, which is her, you know one of her most famous ones. And that's uh, you know all through the show she keeps seeing this kind of ghostly carriage that you know is probably you know death's carriage. Might be death's carriage. And in the end, she finally gets into it, and Wiz Khalifa plays death. Oh, I love <laughs> it's it. So awesome. But the show's like the show's really sexy, almost to the point where it kind of feels like a guilty pleasure. Because it's done in that, like, like I say, that like CW teen, you know, uh, right? Uh, like Riverdale, or you know, one of those, uh, all those great WB uh, you know, shows. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it has all this great, uh, it has all this great, uh, you know, uh, source material in these Emily Dickinson poems. So it's really fun. I would highly recommend. Um, and it's okay. got me, you know, looking at some Emily Dickinson. Again, lately. So. Okay, I'm going to do some Emily Dickinson for us. Here by Miss Emily Dickinson is, Tell all the truth, but tell it slant. <laughs> that seems appropriate. Tell all the truth, but tell it slant. Success in circuit lies. Too bright for our infirm delight. The truth's superb surprise. As lightning to the children eased, Without with explanation kind, the truth must dazzle gradually, or every man be blind. I love that. It's dazzle gradually there's, with the truth around here. It's no surprise that we're still reading her poems and watching her new CW. Amazing, show. yeah. Yeah. Amazing, weird, super awesome poems. And uh what do we do here on One Magical Hour, if not tell the truth but let it slant? That's so, so true. We also encourage you to make poor choices. And drink that sweet, sweet wine. <laughs>